welcome. Welcome and hello. This is Crime Culture. This is Caitlin. This is Haley. This is weird. No, it's not. We're introducing the it's, podcast. It's we never little, know how. What? We Go never ahead. know how to introduce the podcast. It, yeah, it's it's very much you become hyper aware of what you're saying, and just it, it's it's not it's stage just fright, to, but it's easier just to jump it's into the just conversation. To not do a podcast. <laughs> That's true. That's also true. But oh God, we're but too deep we're in here. it now. <laughs> uh, oh so this week uh, we got one of. The stories that I'm most interested in, uh, because it is uh, kind of the basis of one of my deepest, darkest fears, which is random home invasion. But oh, before- mine is close. I have a similar deepest, darkest fear. Yes, I don't know. I don't know if I brought it up when we were talking about the uh, the fears and phobias on episode thirteen. No, you have. I think, or maybe not on episode thirteen, but you've brought it up. To yeah, me it's anyway. it's definitely come up before. Oh, it might have been. It might have come up during the um, uh, spooky stories to tell on a podcast. That could also be it. I just because know- most of mine were home invasion ones. <laughs> Well, that, and so when Haley and I were first starting this podcast, as we've mentioned in the past, we banged out, like, 11 episodes. Like, I think it was 10 episodes and one mini-sode in the first, like, weekend before we released. And Just so we had stuff ready. That was shooting for the moon. We never did that again for good reason. Mm -hmm. Um, But Haley would sleep in her bedroom, and she would have me sleep in, like, her living room, essentially. And... It's a downstairs, it's the down, it was the downstairs apartment in your parents' house, and there was that sliding door that leads directly out into the backyard, and you said yeah. to me on multiple occasions, like, when I was recording there, when I've stayed there since, anything, like, basically, I'm out there, because then if somebody comes in, breaks in, I'm the first person that they kill, <laughs> and well, that gives you time. <laughs> see, that, that room was weird, because, like, the it's room a weird that room, you yeah. stayed in, like the the living room and the bedroom were right next to each other. Yeah, uh, like obviously wall in between. So yeah. you were on like the back the back side of the house. So it led right but, out to a patio. Yep. I was at the front side of the house, which yep. was uh, like the ground and like a really short window. Yeah, and then uh, it was like the window was pretty much ground level. So that was always like my big fear. Is yeah. that somebody breaks into that window because it is ground level. Despite the and fact that the window is the size of a laptop screen. No, it's not that small. It was it, it was a little bit shorter than a regular size window, but like a body could fit through there. It's a there. basement window. Yeah, a dead body that's like limber and his like I think if it's like the consistency of Harry Potter's arm after Gilderoy Lockhart fucks it up. Next time you're here, I'm going <laughs> to shove you through that window and we're going to see how easily you fit. Um, Mini-sode for the Patreon. Yes. Shoving uh, Caitlin in a window. And then at the end of this episode, we're going to do some listener stories because we have yes, a lot of people them. that have connections to cases. Yes, so, and some are just fucking nuts. Yeah, some are really cool. And we just keep getting more. So, yeah, so if you have a connection to said, a case yes. that we've... Yeah, that we've talked about. Send it to our email, crimeculturepod at gmail.com. And then yes, ma'am. we will read it on the show because it is super cool. Honestly, um, you can also like DM us because we've gotten depends them on how on there long too. the story they is. It does depend on how long the story is, but yeah. like we've gotten we other listener stories that we've read have also been via DM. So like yep. we're not saying that you only have to do this, but it would be appreciated if you did it via I'm email. I'm saying you only have to do that. 
because beggars apparently can be choosers because here yeah. we are so so uh i'm gonna start the episode and as you've already seen from the title it's about the keddy cabin murders holla yeah i really so gotta I don't stop know. with that <laughs> i don't know how many people know about this case i think it, it's resurfaced because the case opened back up um within the last like five years i think it was so it might be a little more popular now but it's in your neck of the woods my neck of the woods everything's well, in my neck of the woods well northern california so that's not, not my neck of the woods it's, that's like six hours your, from my neck of the woods it's your state but it's my state of the woods you. yes it's my neck so, of the state no still <laughs> this is getting this is going too far yeah um so in the fall of 1980 glenna susan who went by sue sharp uh left her home in connecticut which is also your neck of the woods i was gonna say now that's my (laughs) neck of the woods so uh yeah she left connecticut after separating from her husband james sharp and took all of their five kids to northern california that's too many yeah taking Um, your children on a cross-country trip is like the opposite of my bucket list yeah, it sounds like a goddamn nightmare. Yeah. <laughs> well, That's a uh, true she, crime in and of itself. Yeah. She chose Northern California because that's where her brother Don was residing at the time. So I guess she just wanted to be closer to family. And it's very similar in terms of environment to, like, East Coast living. Like, they have more of a semblance of a season. Yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah, because yeah, it's Northern California. Yeah. And plus, so, like, if you've got five kids, she needs to be close to Napa. Yeah, I guess <laughs> Um, upon arriving in California, she began renting Cabin 28 at the Ketty Resort in the rural Sierra Nevada community of Ketty, California. Yeah. Uh, there she resided with all of her children, like I said, John, who was 15, Sheila, who was 14, Tina, who was 12, Rick, who was 10, and Greg, who was 5. So she's got all of the she- wonderful ages. Yeah, that's... Oh, God. That's, that's a rough time, especially being a single too, mom. Yeah, like all of that is just a gnaw from me. Yeah, I think it was a pretty close knit community. That it wasn't uh, super populated, so everyone it was one of those that everyone kind of knew each other, and uh, yeah, okay. all parents kind of looked out for each other's kids. So it was it was a a good move for them. Okay, but uh, on April eleventh, cool. around nineteen eighty one, uh, sorry, April eleventh, nineteen eighty one, around one thirty p.m. Sue and Sheila drove from Ketty to pick up John and his friend uh, Dana Wingate from Gasner Park in Quincy, California. And they came back to Ketty, which was about five miles away. Two hours later, around 3.30 p.m., John and Dana hitchhiked back to Quincy, where they had plans to visit friends. It was around this time that the two were seen in the city's downtown area, and a local woman, Donna Williams, claimed to have picked them up at the front of the tire store and given them a ride down the road to another friend's house. The two were later seen attending a party in uh, the Oakland camp in Quincy. That same evening, Sheila had plans to stay the night with the Seabolt family who lived in a cabin right next door to theirs, about 15 feet away. And Sue remained at the house with Rick and Greg and the boy's friend, Justin Smart. Sheila okay. left the cabin shortly after 8 p.m., leaving her mother alone with the kids. Tina, who had been watching TV at the Seabolt's cabin next door, returned home to her cabin at 9.30 p.m. after Sheila had arrived to spend the night. So this is where it goes down. This is where the spook happens. Yeah. So uh, the last time we have is 9.30 p.m. That's when Sheila goes home 
that's Sorry, basically that's when the Tina, last like yeah the last yeah that's form when of that's when Tina goes home for the world. night. Mm-hmm. So then the next timestamp is 7 a.m. on the morning of April 12th. Sheila returned home to discover the dead bodies of Sue, John, and Dana in the cabin's living room. And Sheila's she, the 10-year-old, right? No, she is the... Let's see how old she is. 14. 14. Still, that sucks. That's young. Yeah. Yeah. So um, she sees the living room and immediately runs back to the Seabolt's cabin. And another neighbor went to the lodge to call the police. Meanwhile, James Seabolt went to get Rick and Greg and Justin out of the house through the bedroom window. He later admitted to having briefly entered the cabin through the back door to see if it, if anyone were still alive, and this potentially contaminated evidence in the process. God but damn it. I know that sucks, but like there are three children in that uh, in that house, and you have to get them out. Yeah, and also, I know. Like, like, where is the line drawn? Yeah, and yeah it's not your responsibility to go see if anyone's still alive you've already called the police you've kind of done your part but But i can understand i can understand the 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 want to try to do something more but especially because like you said this is a close-knit community like they know each other it's not like they literally live 15 feet from each other it's not like when you see like a body on the side of the road and you go hmm maybe i should like call the cops on that and you don't like bother to check it's not yeah, like this is people they actually know yes it's not like the body looks exactly like your neighbor yeah so deputy hank clement was the first to arrive at the scene and he reported that there was blood virtually everywhere on the walls nice. the bottoms of the victim's shoes sue's bare feet the bedding in tina's room the furniture the ceilings the doors and on the back steps yikes so it was a nightmare yeah that's a, that's um, a bloodbath the prevalence of the blood suggested that the uh, suggested to the investigators that the victims had been moved and rearranged from the positions in which they were actually murdered in. So here is hmm. the crime scene. It's a little rough if you want to skip ahead about like a minute. So 15-year-old John was the closest to the front door. He was found face up with his bloodied hands bound with medical tape. His throat had been slit. His friend Dana was on the floor beside him on his stomach. His head was laying partially on a pillow, and it was badly damaged as though it was bashed with a blunt object. He had been manually strangled. His ankles were tied with electrical wire, which was also wound around John's ankles so that the two were connected, which is pretty weird. Yeah. I mean, kind of, but not really, because the first thing I'm thinking is to keep them from getting away. Yeah, they were tied like that to get away, not post-mortem. Yeah. I yeah. had to think about what you were saying for a second. But yeah, no, like that they could not escape because then it's like it's like a fucking three-legged yeah. race. Uh so Sue Sharp had been partially covered with a blanket and was naked from the waist down. She was tightly gagged with a bandana and her own underwear secured with medical tape. Ugh. She had injuries consistent with a struggle um, and had the imprint of the butt of an 880 pellet gun on the side of her head Good for and you, like Sue. her fight back yeah so like her son her throat had also been cut so all of the victims had suffered from blunt force trauma by one or more hammers um they had all sustained multiple stab wounds and a bent steak knife was found on the floor and a butcher knife and a claw hammer both bloodied were side by side on a small wooden table near the entry to the kitchen i find that as a weird um a a weird note as well that they left the seemingly murder weapons at the scene 
Yeah, I mean... Don't try to dispose of them? Just leave them there? Fingerprints, DNA? Sure, just leave it there. Yeah. Though, I wonder if in a rural town, if DNA is thought of as much. Like, if well, they it, think, oh, well, like, my comes up sheriff now. won't have the resources. I know, I'm trying to think from the killer's perspective. Yeah, I guess. If it could be, or... I, I'm still wondering if what's-his-face next door could have had more to do with it than he said, because then if the scene is already presumed to be contaminated and his shit is all over the murder weapon and everything. Uh, the focus isn't really on him. It's more on a different neighbor, but we'll get to that in a second. I don't know. It's always the husband. Just because it's not her husband doesn't mean it's not a husband, and he sounds like a husband. Well, you'll you'll see. It's It sounds like it's going to be a husband. It's it's always um, a husband. So, um, meanwhile, it would take police hours to realize that there was a fourth victim, Tina, that was missing. Because remember, she had gone yep. back to she her went cabin. Back, yeah, and she's the twelve-year-old. Yes. Okay. Um, so when it was eventually discovered that Tina Sharp was missing, the FBI arrived on the scene, and the sheriff at the time of the murders, Doug Thomas, and his um, deputy lieutenant Don Stoy, were not initially able to figure out. Um, an apparent motive, which made the murders um, appear seemingly random, which is horrifying. Yeah, that sucks. That just some random person can go eeny, meeny, miny, mo, pick a cabin, and then just go in and pick a cabin start and swinging, just go. I guess. <laughs> um, Leave your DNA. Called, no one will know. Eeny, meeny, miny, mo. Anyway, that's a horrible, <laughs> like Lizzie Borden esque rhyme <laughs> that I hate. I'm gonna write a book. I hate it. Like a children's book. Yeah. Ew, I hate that. For the true crime kid in your life, coming this Easter, put oh, it wait, in your on. kid's Easter sneeze. basket. All right. God bless. Or oh, or whatever. Bless. Ganesh bless. <laughs> um, Stoy recalled to the Sacramento Bee in 1987, quote, the strangest thing is that there is no apparent motive. Any case without an apparent motive is the toughest to solve, end quote. Um, the home did not indicate forced entry, though the detectives did recover an unidentified fingerprint from a handrail on the back stairs. The cabin's oh. telephone had been left off the hook, and all of the lights had been shut off, and the drapes were all closed. So, someone didn't want to draw attention to this scene. Yeah. Um, so, possibly the most confusing detail is that the three youngest boys, um, uh, Sue Sharp's two sons and their friend had not been touched and were allegedly unaware of the events, even though a woman and her boyfriend in the cabin next door woke up around 1.30 a.m. to what they described as muffled screams, and they were unable to figure out where they were coming from, so they went back to sleep. Oh, so those kids got did, Benadryled. I get, they got maybe, Benadryled. Or lying. But mm, if you're a five how, and yeah, how little uh, are you, like, seven-year-old or whatever... This isn't some Burke Ramsey shit. Usually when that kid is that little that you can tell they're lying. Yeah. There's there's the there's the like shifting from foot to foot. There's the not looking you in the eye. There's the change in like the sound of your voice. There's yeah. just like the outlandish like, oh, I wasn't I did not see it because I was busy riding a unicorn. Like it's yeah. it's very kids are terrible liars unless they're a sociopath that killed their little sister on Christmas Eve. I guess. Um, so, although the three boys initially claimed to have slept through the massacre, Ricky and Greg's friend, uh, Justin Smart, later said that they did see, uh, Sue with two men in the house that night, and one reportedly had a mustache and long hair, and the other was clean-shaven with short hair, and they both wore glasses, 
Um, they even said that one of the men had a hammer, which uh, is not something you're casually just hanging around with. On but a, also, how would someone notice that? I don't know. Like, I, I mean, it would be a peculiar detail if you saw somebody. Uh, but would it? Like, I mean, you're in a cabin in, again, a rural area. Like, I, I feel like that wouldn't be so weird. I feel like it would be kind of, oh, he's a handyman. Oh, like, he's doing work on his own. Like, I feel like if it was somewhere else, like, for example, um, that couple that got murdered a couple of years ago, that very wealthy older couple, um, mm-hmm. if you were to have seen them in their mansion talking to a dude who, like, was dressed in plain clothes and had a hammer, then maybe that would be a little more suspect just because the scene doesn't fit, but I feel like it fits the scene here. I don't know. These these are also two little kids, so sometimes little kids notice uh, that's true. more specific details than somebody that's else would. They, that, that's very like, true. That's very true, and they're more yeah. likely to point it out, like that time I gained weight in college. <laughs> yeah, of course. That's the thing I'm sensitive about. Miss <laughs> Caitlin, you're fat now. I was like, you're going to be dead in a minute. <laughs> true. That's um, a true so, story of how my charges almost died once. Good. So, um, Justin reported that John and Dana entered the home and argued with the men, which resulted in a violent fight. Tatum was then allegedly taken out of the cabin through the back door by one of the men. Um, allegedly, a lot of potential evidence was collected at the scene, but because this was pre-DNA testing, it was, um, there was very little helpful information found at the time. Okay. Um, Sheriff Thomas called the Sacramento Department of Justice, which then sent two special agents from their organized crime unit, not homicide, which struck many as odd. So yeah. it, there's no motive to this. Why would you think that it's organized crime rather right. than... Yeah, so that was weird. So immediately the two lead suspects were Justin Smart's father and the Sharp's neighbor, Marty Smart. And his house guest, which was an ex-convict, jo- uh, John Bo uh, Bobaday. And he was known to have many connections to organized crime in the area. Mm. Both men had been seen in suits and ties behaving oddly in a bar the night before. So mm. uh, Martin Smart later told the police that he had a hammer that matched the one discovered at the, um, at the scene. And his hammer had gone, quote-unquote, missing. Shortly before the murders. Huh. Convenient. Yeah, very convenient. Uh, later that year, a knife was recovered in a trash count outside of the Ketty General Store. And authorities also believe that this was linked to the crimes. And um, back to Tina, it would be another three years after the murders that any information about her was found. So a man discovered a human skull in the adjoining Butte County, which was about 30 miles uh. from Ketty. Um, near the remains, uh, detectives also found a child's blanket, a blue nylon jacket, a pair of jeans with a missing back pocket, and an empty surgical tape dispenser. Oh, boy. Yeah. So, with that, uh, the remains of Tina Sharp had been found, and, uh, that made the crimes committed on April 11th or 12th, 1981, a quadruple homicide. The Butte County Sheriff's Department was perplexed by the identity until an anonymous call asked, quote, I was wondering if they had thought about the murder up in Ketty in Plumas County a couple of years ago where a 12-year-old girl was never found, end quote. Um, which is super weird to just get right up out of the blue. I had seen 
uh, I had seen in a recent, um, well, 2016 um, news program that the tape of someone saying, uh, like, pretty much confessing to say, like, hey, um, nobody's put this together yet, but that yeah. skull that they found, could it be that kid? Um, there was a tape of that, which was left unopened at the bottom of a box of evidence. Come the fuck on. Yeah, so that that didn't come up for of a while. Of course not. Jesus. Yeah. So. <laughs> okay. Yeah, I know it sucks. Fine. Uh, this case is very frustrating. Yep. Um, so meanwhile, Sheriff Thomas had resigned from the investigation three months in and uh, instead took a job at the Sacramento DOJ. His handling of the case in retrospect would be considered disastrous at best and corrupt at worst. And uh, he sa- uh, Sheila Sharp said, quote, I was told that the suspects were told to get out of town. So to me, that means a cover up. Yeah. Yeah, and the Sharps' home was demolished in 2004 after it became kind of a uh, like a true crime hotspot that lots of people wanted to come and visit and go in. Yeah. And yeah, it started to just become too much. And I think sort of the town kind of wanted to get away from move that. away. Yeah. yeah, but it also seems like um, I didn't include like all of the conspiracies on it. There's a website called. I think it's like keddy28.com. I'll link it to the website. But um, there's so, like, there's a rabbit hole you can go down that oh, is sure. like corruption and cover ups and, and all of this information that how, like, horrible the, the case was handled. Jesus. It's nuts. Um, but there were updates on the case. So new evidence has surfaced in the case as recent as April of last year, and more developments are anticipated soon. According to Plumas County uh, Sheriff's Special Investigator Mike Gamberg, a strip of white medical tape that was used to bind the victim's hands and ankles and to cover the mouth of one of the victims was found on the floor near the body of Sue Sharp and is said to contain identifiable DNA. And the DNA matches that of a known living suspect, according to Gamberg. He's had the DNA for several years, but it wasn't until recently that he obtained the needed samples and found the match. So other small pieces of evidence uh, were found, including a hammer that was recovered in a nearby pond in 2016, as well as a hammer and knives found in the home. Um, A hunting knife was also found in a pile of debris in Keddy, and a recorded message uh, sent from the Butte County's dispatch to the sheriff's office was also in evidence. And that's that call that I had uh, mentioned earlier. Yeah. So it's also believed that... (coughs) Medical tape was brought along, and there's some evidence that the 880 BB or pellet rifle was also there. Um, these were unfortunately not recovered at the scene. So both Gamberg and Plumas County Sheriff uh, Greg Hagwood. What? Do you hear that? I think it's my downstairs neighbors knocking on something. Oh, shut up. Okay. <laughs> anyway, I'm trying um, to hear about murder. <laughs> There could be one being committed downstairs, allegedly. <laughs> allegedly. <laughs> allegedly. Um, both Gamberg and Plumas County Sheriff Greg Hagwood believe that possibly as many as six people were involved in one capacity or another in the murders or the cover-up. Most of the suspects wore gloves, Gamberg said. Identifiable footprints were not recovered inside. Apparently, as the suspects bludgeoned and stabbed their victims... 
none of the suspects were injured or left any of their own blood at the scene, which is also very weird. Which yeah. also could mean, um, it, to me, it seems like that means more than one suspect because how does one person fight off three people? Right. Four, if you count Tina, which I don't know if she was in yeah. the living room when it was all happening or someone like grabbed her from her bedroom after that. But that seems like all these murders needed to happen very quickly by multiple people um, rather than one person kind of going at it one by one. Right. So every bit of evidence uh, that can still be recovered is important in this case, according to Gamberg, as he continues to search for leads and re-interviews anyone that is linked with the Ketty murders. And I believe Mike Gamberg, I saw in an interview, had a special connection to the case because I think he was a teenager when this all happened and he was actually friends with dana wingate and um the the smart boy that was killed sorry the uh sharp boy that was killed i was gonna say the smart boy <laughs> no uh that's uh justin smart he lived i know and i was like wait what i'm, I'm trying to get the names right uh that's yeah okay. so he had a special hey, connection me, to the case it. He had a special connection to the case, so he has more of an investment of trying to uh, do right by Sheila Sharp, who is convinced that um, she'll, she will go to her grave not knowing what happened to her family, which is absolutely right. horrible. Um, yeah. Yeah. So, obviously, this uh, this story is horrifying, so that means it is perfect fodder for a horror movie. And um, in oh 2008, the horror f uh, film The Strangers, which detailed the ambush of a couple in a rural vacation home by yep. three masked assailants, uh, yep. brought renewed interest in the case, resulting from internet bloggers who drew comparisons between the events and the depictions in the film and the Kitty Cabin murders. However, the film itself made no claims to the events, and it was only vaguely marketed as having been inspired by true events, which I think is just like a sentence people put before movies. They could say anything was inspired by true events. That's true. Um, so when asked about the movie, creator Brian Bertino said that he found inspiration in a childhood experience where strangers knocked on his door while his parents were away, asking for someone that didn't live there. He later found out that these people were responsible for a series of break-ins and robberies. Fucking horrifying. My absolute worst nightmare. Yeah, that's a, that's a note for me, dog. <laughs> so Bertino also cites the obvious reference, the Manson family murders, for his movie. True. Yeah, and that, he also that makes mentioned a lot of sense. Yes. He also did mention the Ketty Cabin murders and how they were um, an unsolved case and particularly brutal and haunting. So he did yeah. kind of mention, like, it's kind of an amalgamation of all of these different stories put together, which makes this horrifying movie that I still haven't seen, because fuck that. Yeah, no, absolutely not. Like, um, mm -mm, mm -mm. It has a 45% on Rotten Tomatoes, which, eh, less than half, but all right. Horror movies sometimes don't do so well. It's got an audience yeah. score of 47 and a Google score of 78. That's not bad. That's pretty good. Yeah. That's quite different from the Rotten Tomato score. Oh. Um, so the critics' consensus is uh, The Strangers has a handful of genuinely scary moments, but they're not enough to alleviate um, the end result above the standard slasher fare. Which, all right. But, like, can't we just say that, like, slasher movies are horrifying? Yeah just because yes, they're all I, similar I, yes i can i can fully <laughs> attest to that yeah 
so uh, some of the actors in the movie are Liv Tyler of Are you getting Lord possessed of the up in there? What? Oh, was it a motorcycle? That was a motorcycle. I just heard growling and I was like, oh, fuck, it's a demon. It is. <laughs> uh, anyway, so Liv Tyler was in this movie. Yes, she from was. Lord of the Rings, obviously. Love uh, Scott her. Speedman. And uh, Glenn Howardin from Always Sunny in Philadelphia. Which is I weird. Know. I need to see that For show. him to be in a, uh, a horror movie. I, I don't know. I need to see that show. I kind of like it when comedians are in, or comic oh, actors it. are in horror movies. I love it. And I like it when the opposite happens, when, like, traditionally dramatic, like, fucked up actors do comedy. Like, John yeah. Hamm, to me, is a really good example of that. Like, he That's was true. a shit dude in Mad Men, like, Mad Men. Like, he was his own way of horrifying in that way. But he was perfect in Bridesmaids. But Yeah. Oh, my God. In Bridesmaids. <laughs> like, oh. Um, and, Wait, speaking and he of, just he's been on SNL and he's really funny too. I know, he's amazing on SNL. Speaking of uh comic actors in um scary shit. horror or drama. Are we gonna talk you... about the new Twilight Zone? Yes. yes. I don't um, have CBS All Access. I kind of like You don't need it. You don't need it. You don't need it. So PSA, I know you can see that one episode online. Yes, yes, you can I kind watch of it shed on a YouTube. silent tear that it wasn't, that it wasn't the Adam Scott episode. No, I want to see the Adam Scott episode. That's what I I'm saying. I, I'm upset that it wasn't the Adam Scott episode that was the free one. I know, Not, no, I, no hate towards Kumail Nanjiani. I love him. I and love I definitely Kumail. fucked up his name. But Kumail Nanjiani, that's it. All right. Tracy Morgan was really good. But overall, the episode was a little bit of a letdown for me anyway. Was it? Yeah. I, I don't know what I... I think I was expecting something with a little bit more shock value, kind of like what... Um, What's-his-face Charlie Booker did with um, Black well, yeah, Mirror, it's, where, like, it's the kind first of being... episode is shocking and it keeps you invested, wanting to see what other fucked-up shit comes next. Yeah. But, like, I felt the... I don't know. I if, felt the first episode was predictable, but that could just be my fucked-up brain. If I hadn't had people telling me uh like you got to keep watching black mirror after the first episode i might not have watched anymore i mean that's fair i watched the first season for a review writing class so yeah we talked about that in our uh our black mirror review yeah. so that was a large incentive for me to continue watching however i had my professor continue hi jonathan yukich um i had him continuously being like hey this is like the worst one in terms of like fucked up itness besides like white yeah. bear which was remarkably not as fucked up in my mm -hmm. opinion um and if you're curious about what our other opinions are on that we have a multi-part episode on black mirror um, three parts yes for on everything up until bandersnatch we had not seen bandersnatch at the time that it was released but, yes, um, we'll we'll do a special episode we'll on do, Bandersnatch. Yeah, we'll do Bandersnatch. Um, yes, but that'll come later on because we have a lot coming up. We got, but we anyway, got stuff to do. Back to Ketty. Yes. So the same year that The Strangers came out, an independent documentary film chronicling the murders titled Cabin 28 was released, and you can rent that on iTunes and Amazon Prime. That's so interesting. So that you should that see it because that's all and it's very good okay yeah like they kind of all come around the same time it's like they communicated or something i don't know yeah like with all this bundy stuff happening all at once yeah with all the bundy stuff happening all at once with the manson stuff happening all at once well the manson um, one makes the sense because it's the anniversary shit kind of happening all at once the manson stuff yeah that's fair that's fair yeah so that's an anniversary so that kind of makes sense but i don't remember if this was an anniversary of 
Oh no, the the Bundy documentary was released on uh an anniversary or something. The... Of his conviction or his birth or something like that. It was one of those. I don't remember. I, don't remember. I, I genuinely <laughs> I don't remember. Perhaps. Uh anyway, so the murders were also examined in the twenty sixteen People magazine investigates documentary series that aired on Investigation Discovery Channel. And it was also a featured case on BuzzFeed Unsolved True Crime. Oh. Yeah. I gotta I gotta I I've I've been sleeping on BuzzFeed Unsolved. I'm gonna be I'm Everyone gonna be kinda real. is. It's a good series. I, I need to I need to get on that because I keep hearing amazing things about it and I don't know why it's really I'm good. just sitting there like fucking around watching Sophia Nygaard instead and I really need to be like well, all the episodes of BuzzFeed Unsolved are on uh, YouTube, but I think yes. they're also on Hulu. They're, it's either Hulu or Amazon, because I know Tasty, um, their Worth It series is on Amazon. I think it also um, might I, be on I, Hulu. I think Hulu and Amazon get similar Hulu. things at the same time. Yeah, probably. Yeah. Anyway, that's the end. And like I said, this is like a base level investigation on this case. If you want to look like real deep down the rabbit hole, uh, I think it's keddy28.com. Like I said, I'll link it on our website so you can go and see all the information there. Yeah. But yeah, it's a horrifying case. A little bit. Like, I mean, I just, I don't understand why. I don't understand why. Like, that's pretty much, that's, that's to put it concisely. Yeah, that's one of the things with unsolved cases. It's like there's no closure, so it kind of yeah. just leaves you like a little like prickly. You're never, yeah, you're, and the older the case gets, like, uh, well, I shouldn't even say that because you know people felt that way about Golden State Killer, and look at what happened. Um, yeah, I'm not saying solely due to our hero Michelle McNamara. However, I would say that 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 she contributed. Um, it's Michelle McNamara. It's Paul Holes. It's yeah, just everyone that Paul talks Holes about the case and keeping now. it alive. Did yes. you hear about that? I, all right, I did. Wasn't sure if you heard about that because I saw that and I was like, oh my god, like our, they, our Lord and Savior. Like if they don't get merch though that says "Hot for Holes," like I'm gonna, like I'm just gonna. I'm pretty sure he he plays into it a little bit. He does play into it a little bit. Like if which you look is good. at his social media presence, about it. yeah, he's got a great sense of humor about it, which I think is especially in the field that he is in and the shit that he is seeing. Yeah, you have to have a good sense of humor. Yeah, that's that's it. Like I mean. Uh, we haven't even seen this shit and we see it as like you gotta have a good sense of humor because we're talking about this today yeah but yeah no uh do you want to read our first listener story i was gonna say let's segue into the listener stories um so first we have a little like christmas in april situation um a throwback to our joe sun episode from our listener matt um hello matt out of all of the episode out of all of the episodes we've covered, I never would have thought this would this have been was gonna one be of the, the one. Yeah, right. Well, well, and also just like, uh, so I'll get into it. But I think it's very coincidental the whole thing, as Matt explains. But yes. um, so as I said, this is Matt. This is his story. Dun dun. Hi Matt. Um. Hi Matt. Um. And so he said, when I was in my early twenties, I'm guessing around 1992 or 93, I was dead then. You were just born. Um, yep, I was, I was new. I, I was dead. Um, <laughs> I was I was working at Burlington Coat Factory in Huntington Beach, California, which I can say this now because it's coming out 
I am surprising Michael and ta- was surprising Michael and taking him to Huntington Beach tomorrow to ride scooters. Quick segue. <gasps> Sorry, Matt, not to like jump on top of your thing. And fun fact, and this is why I'm telling you because this is crime related. Okay. Huntington Beach has made it illegal. Like you know, like you know those those scooters. You get the app and you can ride on them and shit. Yes. You, I was gonna say you saw them when you visited me. For, but for those who yes. don't know, there's a bunch. There's Lime. There's Bird. Um, Uber has their own. I believe Lyft has their own as well. Yeah, they're just like they're everywhere. Electric scooters. They're a they're they're a parasite. But um, yeah. Huntington Beach actually just made it illegal to ride them, and they're they've been removed from the city. Oh, damn. Because they feel that there isn't enough regulation and that people are not following the rules of, like, don't wa- don't yes. go on sidewalks, like, go in the right yes. direction on bike lanes and shit like that. Wear 100% a helmet. agree with all that. Some cities have made it so that you have to wear a helmet. It's illegal to not wear a helmet. Um, shit. And I guess Huntington Beach initially did that and people weren't listening. But, yeah, they, like, just back in, like, October... They made it illegal for any, and all of them were just like removed. And I think Newport Beach in California, a couple, more than a couple, but like a little bit, I believe, south of Huntington Beach, they're uh-huh. doing the same thing. They're they're working on getting eradicating them as well. Well, shit. Yeah. Um. So fun true crime fact. But yes. Yeah, so hun- he said Huntington Beach, and I was like, ooh, that's where we could go. <laughs> and then I was like, shit, no, we can't. Um, ooh, ADHD. So yeah, Michael, guess what? <laughs> Surprise, not really. Um, <laughs> but so he says he was working at Burling- Burlington Coat Factory in 92-93 in Huntington Beach. Um, mm-hmm. And he says Joe's son came in to get fitted for a shirt for an upcoming audition that he was going on. The guy definitely left an impression on me for multiple reasons. First, the man is absolutely huge. Not tall by any means, but huge. As a matter of fact, he was only like 5'5", five five, but his neck and arms and chest were enormous. Even though mm-hmm. he was short, we had to go to the big and tall section. Yeah, there's some people that are like, they're not tall, they're not fat, they're just... They take up room. All Yes, they're just a, a big... They've got, they have a presence. Yeah. Yeah. Um, this is, this would definitely be somebody I would remember. Uh, well, and, and it gets, it gets more like, I can understand the more he go, dives into it, why yeah. Matt was able to remember this guy, because he says, he was really intense as he spoke to me as I was getting his measurement, measurements for his shirt. He was one of those types of people that gets really close to you when they speak. Oof. He kind of invades your airspace, if you know what he means. And Gross. one thing that I didn't hear you mention on the podcast was that he claimed to be an itinerant, an itinerant, excuse me. He claimed to be an itinerant Christian minister, um, mm. which I, I did not know. I, uh, in I my know, research, it said nothing is. about that. Um, I, I was like, surprised, to say the least, yeah. um, when he mentioned that. And, and Matt, I guess I should also mention, well, no, I, I'll, I'll save it because like, spoiler alert. But um, <laughs> so basically... An itinerant minister, and this was just, like, I did, like, a quick Wikipedia page because, like you said, like, I don't really know what it is either. So I was like, let's find a definition. Um, and it's basically, like, an evangelist. Mm-hmm. So, uh, like, he wasn't a Joel Osteen type, but he was, like, a, a couple steps down from that. He was just, he he preached God's message and was all like, he's, he's risen and... I, yeah. I can't really I can't really think of like because I don't watch a lot of evangelists I'm gonna be I, I don't want to speak for them and have it be wrong um but mm-hmm. he's just he's very he's very like he wants to speak positively of God's message yeah um 
So he was so he was a itinerant Christian minister. And he said, Matt says, this guy spent about half an hour talking to me about how bloody and violent a movie this was that he was auditioning for and how at any given time you can be murdered out there on the streets in real life. This dude was intense and aggressive when he spoke. He dominated our Mm. conversation and I wasn't about to interrupt him. He explained to me how important it was for me to have a relationship with Jesus Christ because this world was so evil. I remember a couple of years later watching the Ultimate Fight Championship and seeing him escorting Kimo Leopoldo... Leopoldo? I don't know. I, I'm... We're, we're like 60 episodes in, guys, give or take. That's like, all right. If you we already know we can't to, yeah, 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 yeah. Um, so he was escorting Kimo to the ring as his manager. I said to myself, oh, crap, that's the weird dude that told me to believe in Jesus. <laughs> it wasn't until a couple... Also same. Um, yeah. So it wasn't until a couple of years ago that Matt heard what Joe's son had been accused of, and it wasn't until he heard our podcast, he says, and realized that this brutal gang rape happened literally a year or two before Matt met Joe's son. That's so fucking creepy. Yikes! Yeah. Matt, you have been awarded one yike. Um... (laughs) So Matt says now, it makes me wonder how many times we go about our normal day-to-day activities not really knowing the darkness that is literally just feet away from us and us being none the wiser. The ironic thing about this whole encounter is that at the time, I was not at all religious, even though I had a general belief that there was a God. His words actually resonated with me, even though at the time he kind of scared the crap out of me. Now, a couple of decades later, I am a Christian pastor. Whoa. So like, yeah, like full circle. Like, isn't that amazing? And That's um, nuts. So Matt says that Joseon was one of the many people that shared Jesus with me when I was a young man. It makes me kind of sick inside because if my math is correct, he committed this horrible sexual assault before I met him. Dot, dot, dot. Yeah. Right before. Yeah. So as a pastor, I have some words for Joseon, which I am more than happy to share on Matt's behalf. Um, yes. Because, like, I, I feel that if you're if you are truly a holy person, a godly person, as Matt i've interacted with him a bit online is then you should share those types of messages mm-hmm. joe son however is another story <laughs> yeah um so his message is since he spoke into my uh, since joe son spoke into my life i will return the favor and speak into his since he might actually hear this in prison someday i hope to fuck not um yeah right joe if you're going to claim to be a christian and if you're going to hurt and kill people then you are doing it wrong The golden rule is do unto others as you would have them do unto you. In other words, stop hurting people made in the image of God. You sought to destroy the life of a girl that God loves, and you you took the life of your cellmate in an act of brutal murder, although I don't honestly mourn too much about a pedophile being killed in prison. His life, nonetheless, was not yours to take. You are Mm. leaving a trail of destruction in your wake. These are not the marks of a man that walks with Jesus or he has ever met him. You can, of course, seek forgiveness even now from God, but you need to pr- you need to pay for what you have done here on Earth. While I do appreciate the words you shared with me 20-something years ago, I hope you never get out of prison. I do hope you can find the opportunity to redeem the time that you have left. Try to be of some service in there and do not hurt anyone else. And then he Damn. thanks us. Um, Matt, we thank you. Like, yeah. first of all, uh, also, what a I way would with go words. to any TED talk that Matt is hosting. I was about because... to say, like, <laughs> Matt, like, low key, like, I don't know where you are, but like, if I'll go. I haven't been to church in I don't know how many years. I would love to yeah, hear right? you speak. Um, just because, like, this is this is the message that I believe 
should be taught because it's a message of love. It's a message of yeah. forgiveness, but it's also a, hey, like you did something wrong. Yeah. Do something about that. Like I just, oh. so Matt, thank you so much. We yes, really appreciate that was amazing. you. You truly have a way with words. Like if I was 17 again in high school and this was a book, I'd be highlighting the shit out of a lot of these lines <laughs> and writing in the margins. I he's he's a he's an awesome it. dude and also like whoa, that's like that's crazy. Just that he had such a close encounter at yeah, such a time it, like Yeah, yikes. and it changed him to become like his, his career path the, it just this interaction with him literally it changed his life and yeah. thankfully for the better and also and also hopefully joe son's not going to sit there and take take like credit and be like oh yes i changed somebody's life because you changed a lot of lives not in a great no. way he you just did one he just change, said something matt's the one that took it in a positive way exactly it's you yeah. can choose the messages that are brought to you in whatever way depending on what you believe in or if you believe in nothing but the messages yeah. that are brought to you, you can choose how you want to go with those and how you want to take them. And you can choose yeah. to let them be. You can choose to let them turn you into a person who does good and says good. And I think that that's mm -hmm. what Matt did here. And just, wow. Like, just an aws it. awesome guy. And thank you for listening, Matt. And, oh, wow. Also, <laughs> I don't know if you prefer to go by Matthew, but he, he, we've been calling you Matt. <laughs> he, no, he was saying he was saying in the beginning of the email. I just skipped that part, like that I could use oh, okay. his first name, but Got it. um, like he, I, he's kind of called himself. Oh well, I guess I read too far into that. But his <laughs> gmail, his gmail account was Matt, and his oh, last okay. name. So I took that as Matt. All right, but fine. I guess he never explicitly says. He's just like, don't use my last name. And I was like, oh, yeah, absolutely not. <laughs> absolutely not. Uh, just for future reference, we're never going to use anybody's last yes, name. Yes, That's yes, yes, yes. Don't worry. Do not yeah. worry. Because, like, we don't want that. You don't want that. No one wants that. I mean, Joe you already have our last that, names. That's about it. Yeah. Um, anyway, so the next is from our friend Luis. Mm. Yes, about our last, uh, was it the last episode? Yes, yeah. our last episode, Doran Hell Vargas. Um, yes. And also, quick aside, Louis said that I did a great job pronunciating, so fuck all y'all. Um, <laughs> I was like, I was like, I'm gonna take this and run with it. And good. I am good until my next episode, at which point it's a blank slate all over again. Well, okay. here's me butchering it, because I'm gonna read his listener's Well, story. I mean, my pronunciations were great, so I could always just, you know, like, let you know. You could just dub it. <laughs> <laughs> oh, can we please? Oh, that would be great. Anyway, uh, Louise writes, um, between 1998 and 1999, I lived near San Cristobal, and I remember that I was afraid to go there on the weekends. I guess the, the park where uh, Dornhell... Yeah, that's that's yeah. that's not... It's not the park. It's like the city where Dornhell Vargas committed yeah, yeah, yeah. his, like, the majority of his crimes. Yes. Uh, so he says, uh, my dad was in the army, so we traveled a lot. San Cristobal is a border city in a border state uh, close to Colombia. So mm -hmm. um, it was um, it was pretty common that sometimes people disappear because of drug cartels in the border and paramilitary armies, which right. is <laughs> horrifying. Yeah, that's um, a little. Mm, yeah, okay. that's terrifying. Um, so he says, I think that that's the reason why it took so long before someone got this dude and Venezuela doesn't really have a history with serial killers also. So it's one of those, like, um, that's why Ted Bundy could operate as long as he did because serial killer was not a phrase when he was, uh, yeah. when he was killing people and people didn't really know what to do with something like this. Yeah. So he says, 
Um, it's pretty common to see some murders and um, the justice system realized that it was during a psychotic state. I have to work with some of these patients during my internship in uh, psychiatry back in college when I was getting my nursing degree. You go, Louise, and get that degree. Yes, you already have amazing. it. You've had it for a while now, but you got it. You go, boo. <laughs> so he says, uh, when the courts realize that they that this person is uh, has like a psychotic disorder or something, um, they kind of leave the person in a psychiatric hospital in really bad conditions. And sometimes they don't even proceed with the case, which is horrifying. I mean, yeah, yeah like somebody um, that had a psychiatric, like a psychotic break yeah or has a psychiatric um problem needs to be treated medically for that 100 percent. but also it needs to be like you can't let somebody like this guy slip through the cracks and say like okay He's you've been now. treated yeah yeah you've been you've been treated for two years you go back into the world no follow-ups he travel wherever you want threat to society yeah that's terrifying <sighs> <laughs> But anyway, yeah, so that's our, our other listener story from Louise, our friend. Louise, thank you so much for your recommendation. Thank you so much for just being, loving. Yeah, just being a listener for all of that. Thank you so much for just validating my, I think we all know it was probably shitty and you were being really nice pronunciation. Um, Louise was like, he said something like in, in one of his messages to us about the case, he said something like, um about his english versus like my spanish and i was like and he had sent us a voice message and i was literally like you can be quiet now because your english is better than my english English. yeah i was (laughs) like your english is better than my english and my spanish is definitely does not is not nearly up to par with your spanish so like yeah don't don't like i understand you're being nice don't (laughs) That's right. Well, if you're gonna if you're gonna take anything from this section, you should realize that we do talk to anybody that messages us. Yes, and uh, we'll literally share out your stories anybody. on the podcast. Yeah. yeah, yeah. So you should all do that because we like talking to people. So we do. We're very social that. creatures. You can do that through all of our social media because we check up on all of it. We do. It's, we're like all over. Like you think we're not, but we are. Oh, we're like, all over we're, Even if you think we're not there, we're creeping, especially because we got that two time zone thing going on now. So that gives us we all do. the more ground to cover. Most of my job is done on a computer and there's some downtime. So I have time to uh, all do of the my little job checkups is done on, on a computer the- and there's still yes. downtime. Uh, so you can talk to us on any of our social media. Yeah. Uh, first and foremost, our website, crimeculturepodcast.tumblr.com, where you that can see it. all of the information from this episode. Um, crimeculturepod at gmail.com. You can send us a message, that's how, that's correction how Matt section. emailed us. That's how other people have emailed us. Yes. Just uh, Yeah, that's our touch. correction section. If you need to correct something or you want to add something to the case, if you like Matt and Luis, if you have a connection to something. Yeah, let us know because that's the most fascinating part because I think that's what makes these, like, like obviously these cases are real, but that's what really, like, drives them home because at the end of the day, these are cases, these are people who have affected others in yeah. some way or shape or form. Thankfully, in some cases, God forbid, like, it's not all negative. In, in Matt's case, I'd say that Joe's son's a shitty dude, but he affected him positively. Yes. And in Luis's case, he's affected us positively. Um, yes. And yeah. we're trying to pick different cases from different 
parts of the country and different parts of the world because i know like when i hear something about jersey i get that little spark of jersey pride when i hear something about connecticut i i wince internally and i try to go back to forgetting (laughs) that i was ever there yes (laughs) and i Uh, skip that episode now um but yeah yeah. so uh let us know yeah feel free and reach out on the website you can find all the links to our instagram facebook twitter and our patreon i was about to i was about to slide in there with that patreon be like also also patreon yeah. If you want to throw us a couple bucks money, to support please. us. Money, please. I've never Thanks done anything wrong ever in my life. <laughs> nope, never and not I, once. And I believe that. <laughs> yeah. Oh. Uh, anyway, so we will be back next week. Yes, we will. With Wait, another yes, very good will. episode. I don't know why yeah. I thought we had a vacation. I was like, we don't have a vacation. What is this? No, we never have a, we never, a vacation. No us. vacation. Except, no. for the, except for that one time we fucked up on Thanksgiving, but that wasn't even a vacation. That was just that was that was a fuck up, and that was on me. No, we had we had a mini episode in the bank, so yeah. we uh, we saved ourselves there. Yep. Anyway, <laughs> shop talk off the mic. No, they love it, right? I don't hear sure. the protesting. <laughs> yeah. Okay. <laughs> See you next week. Bye. Bye.